I was debating between two main titles for today, and both of them had that last phrase of battle ready on it. So if you're a note taker, you can kind of jot down, or if you got your connection, you kind of jot down right before it. The first one was going to be a question. Are we battle ready? Are we really, as believers, battle ready? After all that Paul has spoken and said and written for, for these, these six letters or six chapters into this long letter, and then the second one was going to be more of a statement with one of those big old exclamation marks is, is get battle ready. So maybe you can combine those two together and said, if you're not battle ready, you better get battle ready. And if you are battle ready, well then good. Let's get ready to do it. Oh, let's get ready. What'd you say? Kick in doors and, and, and get stuff solved. Oh, Paul opens with this, this, this last, or opens, he closes with this last section of a, of a call for believers to stand against the enemy. To stand against our adversary. And I think it's, I don't know if it's completely on purpose for him, but I think it's funny for us, at least in today's world, that he does this after some of the relationships where we would think one of the people in that relationship was the enemy. There are times, if we're honest, I don't care how holy you want to act up in here this morning, where you think your spouse is the enemy. Right? There are times in your relationships where you think your child is the enemy. You know, there are times in in, in your walk where you think your parent is the enemy. There are times when you think your boss is the enemy. There are times when you think your employer, coworker is the, is the enemy. And he, he goes through those relationships that we spent three weeks on, you know, finishing out what we thought was going to finish out this, this lesson. And then he says our, our real call is to stand against the devil, our adversary, is what I'm going to try to keep using, even though we call him devil all the time and we call him Lucifer. And I didn't know till this morning, uh, the Sunday school class was actually going to study his name. So I thought that was really, really neat. But 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 in that process, what he's reminding us, I think, at the end is like others are not our enemy. Satan, the adversary, will use them as our enemy. He will use some conditions. He will use some scenarios. He will use some problems, some temptations, some walls, some whatever it ends up being where we think they're our enemy. But in reality, they are not our enemy. Our enemy is something much deeper and something much greater. And, and if we would get our eyes wrapped around that, we could come together in our marriages. We could come together in our in our homes with our, our parents and our children. We come together on the on the workforce. We come together as a church. And we would understand that we fight this thing together so that we can defeat this enemy who's, who's coming against us with different things. And here's what he says. You should already be open. So Ephesians 6.10, he says, finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul, Paul's writing this. I got, I got to remind us because the end, the end, the end reminds us again and the beginning reminds us. He's writing this while he's chained up. Now, I don't know about you. You ever feel strong if you were chained up? Yeah, I feel like it'd be the opposite. You know, even in a minute when he tells you, I want you to stand. I'm thinking, man, like when you stand is when you feel the weight of the chains that are on you. If you're sitting and you're comfortable, you don't really feel those chains so much. So maybe Paul's saying, look, I want you to get a little uncomfortable then. I want you to rise up. And, and I picture as Paul is writing this, we, we know most likely at this stage, he's actually got a, a, a hand writer uh, writing for him. He may not be physically writing this letter. He's kind of speaking it. And, and, and I picture like Crystal used to have to type a lot of my uh, papers because I could I could speak a lot of stuff, but it didn't make no complete sentences. Um, and, and then this week, I thought it was great. So Angie started doing some of the, the posts for you guys. And she goes, yeah, I'll make this post and I'll send it and I'll feel all good about it. And then when I look at it online, all the grammatical stuff has changed on it. Uh, that's thanks to my wife. Uh, so she, 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 she enjoys that. So I would allow her to, to type for me 
since she enjoyed it. But when I got to something exciting and in one of my, my, my papers that I was writing or something, I would always get up and start walking around the, the living room or the bedroom or the den, wherever we were writing. And, and, and you know, so I picture Paul at this moment, like he's, he's telling this brother, man, I want you to write for me. And then when he gets to it, he says, I, I want you to tell him to stand up. And he's got these chains that are chained to him and he, and he remembers them. And he's like, we don't have to be chained to these chains anymore. Like we don't have to be shackled to the things of this world. And even when we are chained and shackled by the adversary, it doesn't matter. We can defeat it. And then he goes into to this thing. So, so when he says, finally, the end of this letter, finally, some of y'all should have amen the word finally when, when Cliff read it, because I don't know how long we've been in six chapters of, of one book, but it's been much longer than six weeks. He says, finally, in a letter where I've established our place in Christ, where I've given you the, the basics. This goes all the way back to chapter one and can't been with us in this series, where I've given you the basics of the Christian walk, where, 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 I've, where I've taken this last section and we've applied dealing with this walk into application and real relationships and, and things that we're supposed to do. Finally, in light of all those things that I've said, because that's what he's saying when he says finally, he's saying in light of everything we've talked about, this is this is my wrap up. So this isn't a new idea. Anybody who's ever you know been to school or maybe messed up in school, like the teacher would say, you don't bring up a new idea at the conclusion. You know what I'm saying? Like that you're wrapping up everything. You're not introducing nothing new uh, to get you in trouble. So, so he's saying, I'm wrapping it all up. In light of all that God has done for you, in light of the glorious standings that you have as a child of God, in light of the great plan that God has made part of you in your life, in light of the plan, his plan for your maturity and your growth that he gives you, in light of the conduct God calls us and every believer to, to live out and be part of, in light of filling uh, the, the spirit and our walk with the spirit, in light of this, there's a battle you're going to have to fight. So in light of all this good news that I've been talking about, there's there's a fight that you got to get in. And two essential components, he does at this, this very end right here as he's wrapping this thing up before he tells us what the, the items and the articles to put on. He says, first, you got to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then you can put on the whole armor of God. And I feel like, you know, like Cliff said with this chapter, we, we get excited about this chapter. and We like this chapter. And we love this, this ending of this chapter and where it goes. But I wonder sometimes too often in, in, in the church, at least, that we've neglected the first part. Be strong in the Lord. And we've preached a lot on putting on armor. Is that right? And that picture just gives me, maybe you can understand it better with the, the, the picture that came in my head when I thought of it. It's like I picture this really wimpy guy. And they pile on all this armor on him. He's still a really wimpy guy. He's going to get his butt kicked more. You know what I'm saying? Like, because he can't move now because he doesn't know how to how to operate with it. He doesn't know how to use the things he's he's been given. You know, you you hand you know, if we were to hand I watch it at the turkey shoot one night in you hand somebody a gun and a shell. If they don't know how to use that gun, they stand there and they like stare at the two. And, you know, and we do the same thing sometimes when it when it comes down to battle, like we we hand somebody a weapon, we hand somebody a, a piece of the arsenal, we hand them some equipment to put on and, and they're like, yeah. If you're not strong in the Lord first, if you hadn't gone through some basic training first, what good is putting on all the equipment? And it works with every aspect. If, if that illustration didn't get you, what about the football game? You know, we, we were all bragging on, on football and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, that was that guy's first start. He's a fifth year transfer. You know what I'm saying? Like he's a nobody. But evidently he had been being trained for a long time. Because if not, how funny would it look for them to throw him on the helmet and say, man, your first game. Pat him on the butt and tell him, you know, good job, go. And, and, and how, how bad would it have been? You know, you ever see the, the, the little, little fellas when they start playing those first games? You know, the, the first half of the games we go to with, with Hudson's age group playing is, is to watch them run around like a bunch of bobbleheads. 
Like the helmet weighs more than they weigh. They, they're not used to holding it up. So they're just like falling over and, and they're tripping and they're going, you know, you look funny because you hadn't gone through the basic training. You hadn't got strong. And I think too often when we get to chapters like this, we're real quick on the end of here's what you need to wear. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to remember first. You are strong in the Lord. Because if you ain't got him, I don't care how much equipment you put on. It ain't going to do jack squat for you. And that's what Paul's been trying to set up for these guys. He's saying, guys, basic training has to take place. And he says, if you get that, then yeah, as a soldier, we're going to give you the very best equipment. We're going to give you the very best weapons. We're going to give you the very best armor you can get. But first, you got to make sure that you're strong enough to use what we give you. I was reading, I, I love, I don't know about you guys, but like not just because of this week in this chapter, I love like old military history. Like some of it on, on TV, like it can be, I can't watch anything else history. But like when it comes to like military stuff, like I'm zoned in, even on the most boring portrayed shows, if it's military, I'm like, yeah, I can watch this. Like I, I, I like it. Well, I was, I was looking up some stuff this week about something totally unrelated to this chapter. And, but here, let me, let me paint the picture for you. Cause I, I want to get to this part, but I think it's better if we, we relate. All right, so so it's Tuesday, June 6th, 1944. Only about four of you in the room are alive. Um, the rest of you have to pretend to go back to that time before you had Xboxes and video games and computers. It's 6.30 in the morning. There's 5,000 ships carrying 160,000 Allied troops. Some of you know where I'm going. As you sail up, may, uh, drive up, whatever you want to call it for, for a ship that size, you're approaching the southern beach in France. You're about to be part of the largest invasion in modern history. We call it D-Day. And some of the men, this, this is the part I got this week, but I want to make sure we relate to where these men are. Hundred, I mean, you're, 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 you're butt to butt, shoulder to shoulder with all these guys about to come up on a beach. And some of these guys who survived, they were doing this thing and they remembered this steady stream that was being broadcast over the ship intercom up until the minute they left the ship. So you picture you're standing there, you're, you're, you're suited up. Hopefully you've had a little bit of basic training, at least if nothing else. You, you, you get a good idea what's coming because of what this intercom is about to continue to say repeatedly until your feet move and you go off the ship. And here's what the intercom continued to just repeat over and over and over again as they approach this beach. Fight to get your troops ashore. Fight to save your ships. And if you've got any strength left in you, fight then to save yourself. We may die on the sands of France, but we will never turn back. This is it. Pick it up. Put it on. You've got a one-way ticket, and this is the end of the line. 2,500 Americans died that day in 15 minutes. 15 minutes, 2,500 Americans died. I don't know how many allies because I didn't write it down. The boats reach the shore. Soldiers immediately run off. They're crawling over bodies of other soldiers to continue to get on shore where they're going. And the last thing in many of their brains was this phrase. This is it. Pick it up. Put it on. You've got a one-way ticket. This is the end of the line. Guys, I, I'm grateful when I read stuff like this of the men and women that would sacrifice their lives for our freedom. But for us this morning, when, when, I, when I read that, I think it was Tuesday this week, and, and I was going over it and I was checking it out and everything. What came to mind was me was how many of us believers should have should have an intercom going over every single day to let us know, like, this is it. This is it. You're not going onto this beach to have a vacation. 
You, you know, you, you, you're not coming to, to bring your little rubber ducky and a towel and some sunscreen and lay out. Could you picture anybody storming off the ship, holding their towel and a rubber ducky and some little swimmies on their arm, running on the shore like they're excited about a beach vacation? These guys were not misled in what they were about to do. There was an enemy standing there that was ready to destroy them with machine guns the minute they got off. And you're like, man, that sounds really harsh, man. And that sounds, yes. I think the military for once did a great job strengthening these men and letting them know exactly what they were about to run into without misleading them into some false conceptions. And I think God for men and women that would stand up and they'd be like, you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice it all for what it, what it could do and what it could mean. But I don't want to be a church when I'm thinking spiritually that tells us, oh, get your rubber ducky and your towel and let's go down to the beach for a vacation when the enemy's standing there on the beach shores with machine guns ready to take us out. Right? So, so, so my, my point is this, is, is the church needs to stop being delusional. And I think as Paul gets to this part of the letter, he's telling them straight up, guys, delusion is over. I'm pulling back the curtain and I want to show you in the midst of this battle who the real enemy is, who your real adversary is. And when you understand this, man, for a lot of us, wonder is going to be a tragedy because we didn't expect it to be this kind of battle because we thought we was joining a playground group rather than a battleground group. And, and we thought we was coming on vacation rather than going to war. Because that's, that's the gospel we started preaching. And instead, Paul says, man, I want to make sure you understand. No, no matter how much you wish all day long it was like this, you, you're going to have some casualties because you're going into war. Right? It, it's going to be ugly because here's what he says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, which I got to point out when Paul says that because we, we always look at this chapter. A lot of preachers and Bible students and all that. And they're like, man, this is, this is our call to battle. This ain't a call to battle. Paul's saying you're already in a battle. This was written to the church. It's written to believers. He's saying, you guys are in this fight. No, but no, your coach doesn't come down on the wrestling mat and tell you why you're halfway through the wrestling match. You're in a wrestling match. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you're already in the wrestling match. You're already getting a bloody nose and you're, you're all sweaty and, and ready to run. Like, he, Paul's telling you, you are in this battle. But make no mistake, guys. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, not earthly powers. I want to point that out against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Let's do verse 12. I want to start with the obvious. It's, it's not a big point, but if you're a good note taker, maybe write it down. Paul believed in an unseen spiritual realm. If you don't get that out of it, you're missing something. If you don't get that, you still think your spouse, your parent, your child or your co-workers, your enemy. Right. He's saying straight up, like, we wrestle against an unseen spiritual realm. Jesus taught this. What, what, Jesus spent a large portion of his ministry, what, fighting demonic things, taking on demons and stuff. He, he said what? I've come to give liberty to the captives. Well, if you're a captive, you, you're, you've been taken captive by something or someone, right? And a lot of times these people weren't walking around with physical chains like Paul's got on right now. They, they're walking around chained up to something else. And Paul picks up right where Jesus left off and he says, guys. The struggle, the fight, the warfare, it's against evil forces. Evil forces you can't even see. And if you think you're fighting something you're seeing, oh, you're going to be fighting the wrong enemy. You're going to be taking on the wrong enemy. C.S. Lewis said this. And this is big in us, guys, because we live in a day and age where we don't, we don't want to think about spiritual realms and, and, and evil side and, and good side. And we don't want to think about other gods and, and Yahweh the God and, and all that kind of stuff. But C.S. Lewis says, well said, 
When it, when it comes to demonic, people usually fall into two errors. Either they take him altogether too seriously, or they don't take him seriously enough. I think that's pretty spot on. And so, so, so for me, just because I'm, I'm big on, on making it fit, fit for us right now, right? If you're in the first category, or if one of your friends are in the first category, here's some ideas you may have. You know, so the first category is what? Those that take him too spirit, too, too, what do you say? People who usually fall in two areas, either they take him altogether too seriously. So that's person that your car didn't start and you think Satan got your battery. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's the person like, like every, every red light you got, you thought Satan made it turn red. Um, you know, if, uh, if, if, if your sandwich at, at, at McDonald's went up by a dollar forty, you're like, oh, Satan got me. Now I can't tithe this week. Like, you, you, you're like everything that goes wrong, your Starbucks coffee costs 25 cents more. You're, you're done for the rest of, you know, Satan got you. Like that, that's, that's every thing too seriously. The second group though, which I, and please understand me, is equally dangerous, if not more. They ignore him altogether. Oh, there is no evil forces. There is no spiritual realm. There, there's no such thing as black magic and, and, and all this other stuff that used to be that. And we even get sometimes spiritual say, oh, that's an Old Testament kind of thing. And what Jesus and Paul is saying is, guys, if you had stormed the beaches of Normandy with no clue that there was an enemy out there, you would be the casualty. You'd be done. And I'm going to be honest, guys, Satan, Lucifer, Morningstar, a word I can't even say because I only learned it this morning, Hello, whatever. Like He can care less whether you believe in him or not because he's not after recognition. He's after your destruction. You realize he's okay with you never recognizing him? Now, that's weird, isn't it? He doesn't care. He's not after recognition. He's after destruction. Second Corinthians. This is too funny after what you said earlier. Right? Second Corinthians, Paul comes in and he calls him an angel of light. There are some people that go off on a thing and like, oh, that was that was his real name or whatever. I think what Paul is saying is that he'll transform himself into whatever is best suited to deceive you, even if that means looking like an angel of the Lord. Light's good, right? Huh? Do you realize evil has power, too? I didn't want to stay on this as long. I want to get into the armor because I'm a cliff like I'm ready to just kick some doors in and, and be suited up and ready to go. Right. But we got to understand this. Evil has power too. When, 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 when a stick turned into a snake, who else threw some sticks down and become snakes? Magicians. They've got the power. Make no mistake about it. In other parts of the world, guys, and even in our world, just in different ways, there, there's black magic going on where people are getting healed and, and miracles are happening. And you better have your eyes open to see what's real and what's not. And by real, not in this sense, I don't mean it didn't happen. I mean what's of the Lord and what's of the world. Because if your eyes ain't open enough to see it all, you'll be giving glory to somebody who don't deserve the glory. And that's a scary place for believers to be in. You understand what I'm saying? Could you imagine being somebody who's sick and got healed by black magic, by a witch doctor, by whatever you want to call them in another country, another world, and, and you magically started falling into that line of, of thinking of, oh, look at what they did. It must be real. Well, real doesn't mean godly. Real doesn't mean of the Lord. Real can mean deception. Real can mean an angel of the light, as Paul calls him. And we better know the difference. Because if we don't, we're once again going to be giving credit to something we shouldn't be giving credit to. Now, if we transition into our modern world, sure. I, I don't think his best deceptions, we talk about his best deceptions, right? Uh, uh, that, that morning light. I don't think it comes from making somebody's eye roll back in their head, and levitate six feet off the ground, and, 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 and weird things start going on, invisible things behind the scenes. I think it's more like what Peter calls him. 
But you know the verse in Peter, First Peter 5, 8, he says, be alert, be sober mind, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, the first and most important part of that is you know that cats must be evil because the Lord compares them to the cat category. Right? So get you a dog. Hate for day on your cat lovers, right? Second most important thing, though, is this. When he talks about a, 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 a roaring lion coming around, he's a hunter. You guys, how many hunters we got? Probably more than half, right? Huh? Somebody's wearing camo right now. Think about it, though, in a good sense. Why do you wear camo as a hunter? To blend in. You don't want to be seen. So why would your adversary, if he's like a roaring lion, care if you see him? It'd be better for you not to see him, correct? It blew my mind. We had electricity and light bulbs about the same time we finally started discovering germs. Does that, does that seem weird to anybody else? Right? 1864, some German with some weird to pronounce name. I can say that because I'm married to a German, right? He come up with germ theory. Now, here's what did it. He finally realized that, man, and, and you guys look at stats. How many women were dying during children's birth? How many infants died? I mean, what was actually going on when you go back and look at this thing during this time? People were literally walking from a room where somebody just died, not washing their hands and jumping right in on a woman delivering a baby. Seriously. They could not wrap their minds around that something they couldn't see could possibly be destroying something else. Right? And that's weird. So this guy finally comes over and says, there must be something more there. There must be something deeper there going on inside of this. So, so he does an experiment. He takes the, the, um, I didn't write it down. Fancy name for nurses, right? But he, but he takes them and he, and he says, I want you to wash your hands with water and chlorine. And he's, and, and they just start doing that. When you, when you leave one room, you wash your hands, water, chlorine, and go, and instantly the numbers began to change. Doctors, doctors, those that were supposed to be most educated, right? They, they refuse to still wash their hands with water and chlorine. They refused to put on gloves because they could not wrap their mind around something that they couldn't see was causing the problems. He does a conference <laughs> toward the end of his life. He ends up getting in a psych ward, by the way. His own wife doesn't believe him through this stuff. I mean, the poor guy's life. I you just read you like, man, gee, right? All because you discovered germs, right? Like, like, and, and, and like, he gets to the stage and at the conference before they haul him off, he's just yelling, for God's sake, just wash your hands. Like, that's all he's trying to get people to do. Wash your hands. I think that's why the Lord gave us coronavirus, right? Because you just needed to wash your hands and, and it wouldn't stop the spread a little bit. Oh, you know, but he's yelling like, just, just wash your hands. How many of us believers are so naive but because we don't see the adversary? We don't see the enemy, though we either make the enemy something it's not, or we just don't believe in it altogether. Right? You can't look around. Actually, you know what? Maybe you can. You can look around and see the evidence of the adversary, can you not? Andy Stanley has a, has a quote, right? He, he says, if you want to see evidence for the demonic, you won't find it by looking through a microscope. You'll find it by looking in your rearview mirror. Now, I don't think he's talking about looking in the rearview mirror at your kids. Right? But, but I do believe he's saying in the rearview mirror of life. And you think about this, and, and I don't know if you guys can relate as, as well as maybe I can. I look back, and I know my enemies. You know, I think the enemy is like Siri on your smartphone. You ever notice if you talk about something, you ain't had to look it up. You ain't had to buy it. Instantly, ads start popping up for it. Huh? Jeremiah found the coolest wheel ever yesterday, all because he typed in 
uh, uh, eight lug, twenty. Well, you know, eight on one seventy. You got to do it anyway. But 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 it pops up. Like he was looking for a used one and a four thousand dollar one pops up, and Angie said no. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> but 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 this thing pops up. The enemy's like that. He's watching you. He's listening to you. Because when I look back in the rearview mirror of life, again, not looking at my kids. I am blown away by how perfectly timed some of his temptations are. They get real and think about it. I'm blown away by how specifically tailored some of the coincidental things that happen in my life happen to be at the moment they happen. Right? Like, like in my life, I just happen to, to, to meet the wrong person at the right time in life. Or I just happen to meet the right person at the wrong time in life. Or I just happen to have the right questions that get planted in my brain that throw me off track for something that could have been a great movement in my life spiritually. Or suspicion comes into my heart. Or, or the perfect storm happens in my marriage or in a small group or a group of friends and it drives a wedge between me and people, right? You think these things just happen? When you believe you don't have an invisible enemy, an adversary, you think these things just happen in those people and those things and those instances and those genetics are your enemy. I'm going to be honest, when I read what Paul's saying to you guys, guys, there, there is a secret realm going on where he's working hard to get you with this stuff. He's tailoring this stuff to get you, right? Now, there's some moments where, sure, we're like, man, that is pure evil, and I know there's evil out there. Terrorism. When we read stories about mothers killing their children. When, when we look back at the Holocaust and that those kind of events and things in history that are taking place, like we, we say, like, there's no way that could have happened without pure evil. And Paul is saying at the beginning of this thing, it's because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and spiritual evil in high places. The spiritual realm is real. And, and, and Paul is trying to get us to understand it so much so that what he says in verse 18, what did he say? I want this to make you more alert. Your temptations, your lust, your doubts, your, your relational problems, there's an enemy that's strategizing your destruction and using these things against you. These things are not necessarily the enemy. It's, it's who's doing them to you. And how perfectly timed they are. Right? When I'm tired, he, he gets me with something. When I'm down, he, he gets me with something. I get the lust of the flesh when, when there's a, a moment of that. You know what I'm thinking about? Like, like, just think about how perfectly these things are. Or when you're well done. How easy would it be to preach an awesome sermon, make it a spiritual thing, roll out the doors and be like, I did such a good job today. Would that not be the enemy's tactic? Right? Easily. Oh, I played them keys like you ain't never seen keys played before. I beat that drum like you ain't never been. I sing like you ain't. You know what I'm saying? Like, how easy would it be for him to trap you even with good stuff? He's out to get us. So there, there's the first thing, just making us more alert and more aware. The second one, I think he's trying to get us a greater dependency on God. That's how the whole letter started. He's saying, look, if, if you realize like, like these things on earth, man-made stuff is not your enemy, then you're fighting a supernatural enemy, then you need supernatural help. It's got to go deeper. So Paul, he concludes this letter to the Ephesians and he reminds them, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil that's coming your way. Stand firm. I want to make sure we understand that. You know what it's saying, right? Like, get ready to fight. Not run away. You know, there's only two times in Scripture I can find, and I've done a lot of studying on it. Only two times in Scripture you're called to run. You know what they are? The men better know what one is. 2 Timothy 2.22, you flee sexual lust. You know why that is? Well, we're weak, yes. 
But I, I'm serious. Now, don't take this in a weird, crude way or anything like that. I'm just being honest with you. That's a desire God gave you. And God's flat out saying, like, you can't compete with a desire I gave you, fool. You know what I'm saying? Like, and some of us men would think we could. He's like, you can't compete with a desire I gave you. If lust comes your way, you better hightail it out of there. The only other time, and the, the word is not written like it is in 2 Timothy where it literally says fully, but the only other time we're ever even inclined to run away is love of money. And I think that's because God did also put a natural thing inside of us where we do want to attain stuff, but we're supposed to be attaining stuff for his kingdom, not for this kingdom. So if it comes to the monies or the honeys, you run away. You got it? Anything else? What does he tell you? Stand and fight. Get firm. Get ready. It's time to go on. Right? Now, we get this, like, even with our families. Some parents go to great lengths, and I'm not saying these things are bad. Please understand me. I want to make sure our motives are right, though. You go through great lengths of not letting your kids hang out with other kids. You, you homeschool them or private school them or, or whatever. Again, not bad things. But if your motive for doing those things because you think you can stop the enemy from tempting them and getting them, you're a fool. You're a fool. You ought to be preparing them for the real things that's coming their way. You ought to be getting them ready to stand firm. You ought to be telling them, like, there's some things you can't run away from. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's got nothing to do with your power. It's got to do with his power, his might inside of you. Matter of fact, your strengths are often liabilities when it comes to standing up for the Lord. Because you think you're strong enough to take it on. You think you're foolish enough that you can do it and you forget to depend on God. When you feel weak and you feel unqualified, I think that's more when you're more likely to lean on the power of the Lord. I just can't do it. Good you can't do it because the Lord's got to do it through you. Right? Man. I'd say, you, you, I think we said this on week one or week two, somewhere in there. Weakness and an advantage because dependence is the objective. Weakness and it is an advantage because our dependence on God is the main objective, right? Again, not new contact, Paul, or content. Paul's taking all this stuff and he's saying, this is how we want to apply the gospel, guys. And how we're going to apply the gospel is these seven pieces you're going to put on. Now, some of you just now, you've been good note takers your whole little Christian life. And you're like, I think there's only six pieces of armor. There's where we mess up. There's seven pieces in there, right? Check out these seven pieces, right? And some of them, yes, repetitive. Some of them are similar concepts. We can go a little quicker. Not, not entirely new fundamental ideas or anything like that. But the main thing is the gospel should cover every part of your body because where the gospel has fortified you, Satan can't attack you. We, we, we talk about why we talk about this demon world and all this stuff. I get asked all the time, like, can a Christian get demon possessed? Well, demon possessed isn't even in the Bible, by the way. It's demonized which is a little bit of a different, but not a, not a big difference. I understand the, the thing, but we need to understand any area of your life that ain't covered, he can grab a hold of. It makes sense. Anything you left uncovered is free will for him to come on, right? So, so if we were, if we believe this, where the gospel has fortified us, Satan can't attack us, we better be fortifying every part of our body, every part of our mind, every part of our brain, every part of our life. Putting on these things is how you fulfill the command of be strong in the Lord. You want to be strong in the Lord? Here's how you do it. You put these on, right? You're weak. You're sinful. Yes, that's what we've been talking about for six chapters. There's darkness. You're spiritually dead. God saved you, right? Is it not God who did it? We couldn't save ourselves. We come to a moment where we realize, like, I I can't do it on my own. I can't handle it on my own anymore, right? So so I got to do more. I can't live this life out the way I want to live it on my own. So I realize I don't have the ability to take on supernatural things without supernatural power, right? That don't make us feel good, really, I think. So, so here they are, seven pieces. Number one, 
Yes, for the rest of you who watch your clock, I'm just now starting my seven points of the sermon. But you got out early last week. You still get out on time today. Some people was like, man, I missed last week. We got out early. Yeah, that's what happens when you miss a week. I did it just because you weren't here. Piece one. Take up the belt of truth. Verses 13 and 14. Chapter 6, 13, 14. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so you'll be free to resist the evil day that's been prepared in advance. Stand. Therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. You know what he's really saying in my language? Don't get in a fight where your pants fall down. Right? Your pants fall down and it ain't going to be too good. If you're storming the beaches in Normandy and your pants are falling down, guess what happens? You fall down. You run out on the football field and your equipment was too big. You fall down. Right? If you're trying to outrun the police and your pants fall down, it, it, you know, it doesn't work. You, you, you got to have your pants up. You got to be girded. You got to be ready to run, ready to go, whatever's chasing you. Right? Your belt goes around your core. It holds all your weapons and everything in place. Now, in this time period, here's what's kind of neat. So, so you, matter of fact, jot this down. This is, this is really just a little one sentence thing, but it's really important. Your belt keeps everything in order. So the truth should keep everything in order. Right? Things in your life get out of order. It's because you don't have the truth. Make sense? So that's, so that's what your belt does, right? But, but what was neat is, is, is in this day, Roman soldiers, when they had their belt off, is when they were like sitting at a table, relaxing, maybe getting ready to lay down, maybe getting ready to eat or whatever. And when they put their belt back on, is when they're getting ready to go to war. Right? So, so what Paul is saying is you put your belt on because you need to be ready all the time. You don't get a time where you get to sit down at the table, relax, and all this stuff. Like, you keep your belt on, ready to go, right? You don't want to run into battle with your pants falling off. Some of our problems sometimes we think about the belt of truth is this. When we think of truth, we think of what? No, we all say, well, what is truth? What is truth? There's the right answer. We should be saying, who is truth? Because who is truth? John 14, 6. What did he say? I am the truth. Come on, guys. We ought to know stuff like this now. We ain't getting this stuff. We definitely can't pick up the sword here in a minute. Right? You, you got to know the word to pick up your sword. So what is he saying then if Jesus is true? You gird yourself up with Jesus and make your identity in Christ the center of your life. And if that's the center of your life, if that's what matters more than anything else, you're ready for whatever the enemy throws at you. You realize your identity is based normally on the most important person in your life? You, you ever thought about it that way? You, you talk about, I don't even know where she went. She talked about doors of freedom a minute ago. Like they got to a stage where they were brainwashed into thinking that was an important person in their life. So then when that person gave them an identity, that's what they claim to. Unfortunately, kids that grow up with jerks are from parents, right? They get their identity from that parent because at that age, that's their most important thing, right? So they develop this identity and whatever that mom or dad was calling them, which can be good or bad, by the way, right? When you get married, sometimes your spouse gets elevated, maybe a little more than they should. And your identity becomes and what they say of you. All right. So, so my question then is this. If it's true that your identity is based on the most important person in your life, then is that person Jesus? Have you based your identity 100%, your core identity, and who Jesus Christ says you are? One of the easiest exercises were in the book of Ephesians, guys. If you ever doubt that, you're ever confused by that, if you've ever been trapped by that, you open the book of Ephesians and you go through from six chapters, covered in, and you write down everything in that letter that it says you are in Christ. You'll fill up pages with it, I promise you. Right? Who it says you are in Christ. Because your identity should be in Christ. And when the enemy outside or other things, in case you don't think this is true, by the way, you realize Satan attacked Jesus at his identity? 
I need to make sure we get this, right? What did he tell him when he got him in the wilderness? If you're the son of God, he's attacking his identity. Right? He's saying, man, I don't think you really are. So I'm going to attack your identity. And if you're the son of God, let me let me see you. Let me see you do this. Let me let me see you do that. Right. And he does. Don't, if, if he does it, please understand me this, because I can't stand people to say, oh, oh, the enemy can't come against. Him. If he attacked Jesus, don't you think he's got the audacity? Almost said something else since we own a man chapter. Right. Like, don't you think he got the audacity to attack you? Huh? If he attacks Christ. If he thought enough that he could he could really counteract Yahweh at some stage, however, it ended up happening when we try to piece things together in the timeline and all like if he thought he could go against them, him, capital H, I am right. What makes you think he ain't gonna come against little old puny you? Right. Man, maybe get you with some of this stuff. Just just think about it, man, because I think we can relate. Right. If you're a Christian, you wouldn't really struggle with this. He's attacking your identity. Right. That's a lie straight from Satan. Right. If, if you really were a son or a daughter of God, your life wouldn't be so hard. He's attacking your identity. He's attacking truth. If God really exists, wouldn't life be different? He's attacking identity. He's attacking truth. Right. Man. Second thing about the belt of truth is it implies that the, 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 we've got perspective on what he says. It goes back to everything being in order and everything being being true, right? So things like sexuality, marriage, purpose of life, generosity, and, and all the rest of them. Everything's based off what God said about We're based off truth. How you determine what is true and right in your life, right? Sometimes people have this internal compass of, oh, this is what makes me feel good, or this is what my family likes, or, or this is what the Hollywood stars are doing, or this is what my professor, you know, told me, right? Why don't we let the word of God do our shaping and thinking? Why? Right? Isn't that what it should be? Guys, this, this isn't just good doctrine to learn. This is a means of survival is what Paul's saying. Like this, this is for the eternal kind of things, right? When you're not covered in the truth of Scripture, you're exposed to an attack of the enemy. Whatever area of your life isn't covered is where he's going to attack. Has God really said? It's the first question he asked in the garden. He got really. I think it's sad over 2,000, 4,000 years, however long, I don't really care, right, that he ain't come up with a new plan yet. But you know why you don't have to come up with a new plan? Because we're dumb enough to keep falling for the same old plan. There's two things he tries to get us to do. Either doubt it or neglect it. Think about it. He wants you to either doubt the word or neglect the word, right? What you believe about this book says everything. It does. And my fear for a lot of us is not that you would doubt the word of God. It's that you don't know the word of God. You can't combat because you ain't got nothing to combat with. I don't know how to say his name either because everybody's got weird names. It's not just in the Bible, right? But Professor Earman, I think is how you would say it, uh, teaches at UNC Chapel, Tar Heels. He teaches a world religion class for different it's secular colleges. Don't, don't think anything like it's spiritual holy because here's his point. I told him in this Wednesday night, right? His objective at the beginning of every semester is see how many people he can get to deny the existence of God. He starts every class. Let me make sure I get this right. He starts every class and he says, how many of you Believe this is the word of God. He says about out of 200 students, about 30% raise their hand. Right? He keeps it up. And he says, now how many of you have read this from cover to cover? He says, generally, maybe one or two still have their hand up. And here's the kicker. He says, well, then your heart already knows God's not real. My job this whole semester is to convince your brain of what your heart already is telling you. 
Now, that should ouch a lot of us, I believe, because if I was to ask these questions of how many of you have read this cover to cover, how many hands will we get up? You're going to tell me this is you believe this is the word of God. Spoken by him. Commanded by him. Written by him. And yet you don't see the importance of reading it. Huh. Maybe your heart doesn't believe he's real either. Then. And if you're like, ouch, pastor, well, good. I hope it kicked you right where it needed to kick you. Right. When we neglect his word, we're flat out saying, I don't believe that it's his word. And this professor will use this every single semester, every single year to get so-called church going believers. To stop believing. Why? Because they understand in their head what their heart had already said. So I ask you, Christians, what is your heart saying about the word of God? Is it important? Is it real? Is it legit? Is it something you need? Or is it just a book on the shelf? Right? Do you treat it like life-saving truth that you confess it to be? Or not? I'm going to get off of that. Number two. Maybe your belt hits you where... Never mind. Number two, second piece of armor, 14. Take up the breastplate of righteousness. What did I just say a minute ago? Satan can only attack uncovered parts, right? Only uncovered parts is where saying bad habits you have, lack of self-control, areas of pride, bad relationship. Whatever is uncovered in your life is what he, where he uses to attack you. So what's uncovered? The, 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 the breastplate of righteousness, what? It covers your vital organs. You, th- you can picture a, one of those breastplates, right? It's covering all the vital stuff, right? What's the most vital thing? Your identity in Christ. Correct? Because it determines everything else. It determines what kind of husband you are, what kind of parent you are, what kind of worker you are, how you're going to live in this life with all the other relationships, right? Your identity with Christ. So he's saying, I want you to cover your core, uh, your core organs, your vital organs, the core stuff. You ever picture a Roman breastplate? You know what it looks like, right? I should have, should have, I tried to steal in my kids' room, but they were gone last night. I thought we had one. But you ever picture one? Well, what does it look like? Muscle! Yeah! You got the pecs already. You got the abs already. You know you can be a jiggly guy and put on a breastplate and everybody sees what? Pecs and abs. Is that not a... I don't think that's what Paul meant, by the way, so don't be pleased telling everybody. Pastor said Paul meant... I don't think that. But is that not a beautiful illustration of putting on the righteousness of Christ? Right? Because we is jiggly. We is sinful. We is nasty, right? But we put the breastplate of righteousness on. And we get abs and we get pecs. Am I right? You ever thought about it that way? You'll never think of it any other way now. Right? It's done. I've done my job. Prove, let me prove this to you. I'll prove it. Second Corinthians 5.21. Right? Look at, look at, look at what he's saying. Talking about Jesus. He made the one, all caps, please don't miss who it is, who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For today, it's saying, he made him with pecs and abs take my love handles so that I could have his pecs and abs. Is that not what he's saying? It's a beautiful picture of righteousness. Don't wow me, right? Is it not? Man, his perfect abs of righteousness become mine. My, my sinful love handles become his. Man, it's beautiful. But there's also something else because there's that command of, of putting on righteousness, right? So there's an obedience element that goes in here. Please, please don't miss it. 
Right? Meaning this. Well, you say, what do you mean about obedience? It means we bring our lives into conformity with his. That's part of putting on righteousness, right? Satan's going to use whatever part of you is not surrendered, right? Any bad habit, uh, anything you didn't take seriously enough, any temptations that you didn't say no to, and all that kind of stuff, to get you. Why? Because you didn't align your beliefs about that problem with the Lord's beliefs about that problem. Make sense? And, and it can come later. Please, please, please understand that, right? It's just a matter of time before it explodes. You can dabble in pornography for a long period of time before it explodes on you. You, you can dabble with unforgiveness for a long time. You, you can dabble with a bad relationship for a long time. You can dabble with things you won't let go of for a long time. You can dabble with many things. But if it's an area of your life where you won't give God complete control, dating life, money, I don't care what it is. It's whatever you don't trust God with. Because what you're saying is, God, you know, I trust you with this other stuff, but I, I don't trust you enough with this, this part of my life. So I still want to be in charge of it. What is it in your life you're not trusting God with? If you're not trusting God, they can never become righteous, right? Whatever part of your life where you're not obedient to him <laughs> is where Satan's going to attack you. It's where he's going to get you. And we know this when we see it in real life. Let me ask you, let me ask you this way. Play, play this. Don't say nothing out loud. <laughs> don't, 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 don't nudge nowhere, right? If you knew, if I was to tell you right now, one year from today, Satan was going to bring you down, what would it be from? Think about your personal life. I hope I'm asking it right so that you can understand it, right? Like, like if I told you right now, one year from today, you were going to fall to destruction. As you think, what, what would be that area of your life that he would get? Because whatever that is, is where you need to start putting up your red flags. Whatever it is where you need to start building walls. Whatever it is, is where you need to move the, move the breastplate over just a little bit and cover up better, right? And you understand what I'm saying? Like, there's something in your mind right now when I ask that question, like, oh, he's going to get me with... He's going to get me with the next drink. He's going to, oh, he's going to get me with that, that next drug. He's, oh, he's going to get me with that good-looking woman. Or, oh, he's going to get me with, oh, pastor said abs and, and pecs just a minute ago. That one guy, he's got, he's going to get you. You know what I'm saying? He's going to get you with something. And you need to be aware of what it is right now so that you can cover it up. Right? All right. Let me go. No, hold on. Before I go on, I'm sorry. I can't go on yet. Because I didn't learn this till yesterday, so it's exciting for me. Right? The breastplate of righteousness in the Old Testament. Go to Isaiah chapter 59 or look on the screen. 15 through 17, right? It's an image. This is, this is really cool to me. The breastplate of righteousness, Old Testament image of someone God used to bring justice. So you go to Isaiah chapter 59 where, where this wording comes up, right? Verse 15 uh, through 17. It says, it talks about a time where there was a lot of injustice in the world. And then it says, then the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man to stand up for the afflicted. Sometimes I think we come into churches. I'm going to finish reading. Hold on just a second, right? But we come into churches and there's an announcement like the doors of freedom and the walk for life and, and homeless people. And, 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 and I understand why we do it this time of the year, not just for, for holidays or whatever crap, right? But like it's getting cold, so they need stuff. It's, it's just, a, you know, it, 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 it works out. So whatever your motive is, you know, it may be wrong sometime, but, 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 the, but that end of the year is okay to do it. Shouldn't it be something we do in all the year, though? Shouldn't it be something we constantly doing? You know what I'm saying? It, it says that he saw it. There was nobody to stand up for the afflicted. I can't tell you how many church people I hear all the time talking about, oh, I wish the government would take all my tax money and do what they're supposed to do with it. I bet God's saying, I wish my believers would take their money and do what I done commanded them to do with it. You laugh, but I'm telling you, you expect the government to take care of poor people? It ain't their job. 
Their job's the potholes that they ain't taking care of. Right? Your job as believers is to take care of poor people. You understand this? Don't be telling me, oh, I pay my taxes. They're giving so-and-so freedom into the country. They're giving so-and-so a food card. I don't care what they're doing. I think the Lord calls what you're doing. Right? What you doing with your dollars? You saving them up for something you ain't never going to get? Are you taking care of people? People who ain't got mom and daddy, you're taking care of old people who ain't got nobody to take care of. You, you, you're taking care of, of those that are sick. You're taking care of those that got problems and, and can't handle life on their own. Are you taking care of people? Or are you waiting on somebody else to do it? God says right here in Isaiah, he saw that there was nobody to stand up for those that were afflicted. There was nobody taking care of these people. There was nobody taking care of, of the enemy as they was attacking them. So verse 17, so he put on. Here's the only thing I was trying to get to. So he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Wow. Right? That's what he says. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what Paul tied it back to in this, this letter, right? What is he saying? He says, when you begin to feel what God feels, you see injustice and you can't help but want to do something about it. Right? Man, when they first opened that house in Ridgeville, this is wrong. I'm going to tell you right now I'm wrong, okay? Just so you don't have to throw stones at me at the, at the door when you leave. When they first opened that house and I was working out at the gym right there, like I'd walk out after a set and just look over there. Not that I was looking for no woman, by the way. I was looking for one of them little pimps to come on back and try to get one of them women. And we was going to go back old school on them. I'm, t- I'm just telling you, confessing right now what was in my brain. It was there. I'd walk over there all the time like a card pull up. Let a dude get out of there and look like a little thug. I'm going to thug his butt right on back to home. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, no, what, no. It could be wrong or whatever, but it wasn't going to be no right. I was going to take care of it. Had a gun in the truck in case he had a gun, too, so don't tell me I was foolish. Right? Mama's like, you don't know what them boys had. Mama, I got something, too. Don't worry, right? That's wrong. Don't do that. But, but, but what's he saying? He's saying, I'm looking for people who see injustice and feel the way I feel about it. What do you think God feels about it when he sees some of this stuff? Man, we could do a whole week just on that, right? Third piece. Third piece. The shoes at your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You know, I've preached on the armor of God so many times and I've made a mistake so many times. I've always said the sword is the only offensive weapon. Shoes is an offensive weapon. There is. I'm telling you right now, write it down. We get an offensive weapon before we get to our offensive weapon. You know what I mean? Because if you ain't got shoes on, how you going to charge? How you going to storm the beaches of Normandy if you ain't got no shoes on? Shoes take you there, right? They're offensive weapons. They carry you forward into battle. Sharing the gospel is what it says, right? It says what? Given by the gospel of peace. Sharing the gospel of people is how we overcome a lot of Satan's works in others and how we also overcome a lot of Satan's work in ourselves. But we, we come up with this flaw. We're like, oh, I only want to share the gospel with people who's interested in it. How are they going to get interested in it if you don't tell them about it? You remember when you used to think church and sermons was really boring? Some of y'all might be thinking, yeah, they still are. And I still have that thought. We're trying to convince you otherwise. Right? <laughs> like, But do you remember like somebody had to introduce you to it? Somebody had, had to prime the pump just a little bit. How can they ever get interested if we never take a chance sharing them? Telling them about, man. This has got the power to set the captive free. This has got the power to give sight to the blind. This has got that, that spiritual life to give those that are disinterested. They won't get it if we don't share it. 
What does the word tell us? Faith only comes by what? Hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God. The word of God can't go to work until it's been spoken. But we ain't speaking it. You, you, you know what I think some of our biggest problem is? So, so sharing the gospel does two things. It, it breaks down barriers in the other life. But you realize it breaks down barriers in your own life? Because Satan gets you a lot of times because you're bored. When you're bored, Satan gets you. Does that make sense? If you stand on the sideline long enough, like if defense stays on the field and you're an offensive player, like you get bored. I don't care who you are. Like you want to get in the game if you want to play ball. Now, if you content to just stand on the sideline, well, that's you just wired a little different than me, right? Like I want, I want to be in the game. So like I'm hoping, man, defense does a three and out so I can get in there and hit somebody, block somebody, run the ball or whatever is next for the fullback to do, right? Like, like that, that's where it was. But if you're happy just sitting there, you, you get bored. You start. You ever see little kids when they play ball? If they're not on the field, what are they doing on the sideline? Picking wedgies, right? Like like talking trash to one another, digging in the grass. If it's baseball, they're looking around for the butterfly that ain't there. You, you, like, like, like they just, just get bored. And if you're thinking, how does this apply spiritually? You remember David, a man after God's own heart when he fell? When did he fall? Oh, go, go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says when, when it was the time of the year where the kings were out to war, David was lounging at the house. While he was lounging at the house, he caught view of this good-looking woman bathing on the roof. If he hadn't been bored, if he hadn't been lazy, Satan could have never got him. But look how fast it goes. He gets him with that. Come on over. We sleep together. You get pregnant. Oh, no, now i got to kill my friend. Right? You see how fast destruction comes? I'll be, I'll think about it. I'm serious. Destruction comes fast. Why? Because we're lazy and we're bored. So you could say it this way, that gospel readiness, the shoes, the shoes of the gospel, right? They keep you ready because they keep you engaged. I, I hope you realize like we, we don't want a lot of people to come to church to be entertained. We want people to get engaged in the battle, right? Like, like this ain't like a huddle for saints. This is, this is people getting ready to bust some doors down and do some battling, right? If we just a happy little huddle trying to keep evil outside, we're failing. We called to go destroy evil. We called to take care of evil, right? Number four. I should have did seven weeks on each of these just so y'all know, but I'm being nice because I know y'all, y'all at the end of it, right? Number four. Above all. You know what above all means? Higher than everything else. It means it's important. Right? That makes sense. Above all, meaning this is, this is important. Take the shield of faith. You know why he says above all there? Because them men would have never left the boat if they didn't have some faith in somebody taking care of business. You didn't have faith. You're never going to leave the boat. Right? Peter would have never jumped out if he didn't have the faith that he could have walked on water like Jesus. Peter would have flipped out rather than just say, Lord, take my hand. As he began to sink, if he didn't think the Lord could have did something supernatural. Right? Above all. Taking the shield of faith. Here, here's what I love. He, he, you even know you got a supernatural shield. I hope you caught that. You ever seen like movies where they hold the shield up and the arrows come? What happens? What happens? Think about it. It blocks arrow, but what, what, what? All right, so after the block, what happens? Oh, y'all need to watch more violent movies. What is it? Oh, yeah, because they're stuck in the shield. They're stuck there. You got little points that might have come through the shield. You're like, ooh, that was close. Right? Like, like you got, you got the rest of the arrows just sticking out. Like you got them all there. What does he say? He said, your shield, 
You can't miss this because it's awesome. Your shield is a supernatural shield. It's going to extinguish the fiery darts the wicked one's throwing at you. You know what that means? It means them little arrows ain't coming through to get you. Like they just, as long as you hold the shield up, you hold the shield up, you're in trouble. I mean, saying hold up the shield, right? Satan's main weapons, what? Lies and doubts. Lies and doubts. That's his main weapon against you, right? Please understand, you're not supposed, sometimes I think like we think we like spiritual ninjas, right? You're not supposed to try to out-reason Satan. Jesus did in the garden. He was equipped and ready to do it. Jesus did at the wilderness. He was equipped and ready to do it, right? But you are not a spiritual ninja with footwork that can dodge all the arrows he's shooting at you. Right? You put up a shield of faith. Why? Because you're supposed to hide behind what? Your shield. Now, that's not hiding and running away. Right? Could you imagine? I got my shield up and now I run away. What happens? Well, you just got blasted. You're done. You lost. You died. Game over. Right? Like you put up the shield because you're still standing there. But it means you're coming against him with the mind of what God has told you is true. You know, you know what your shield is? Here, let me, let me give you one. Satan hurls some fiery darts at you, right? Satan hurls them at you. You're no good. You're pathetic. You're nothing. After what you did, you think God's still going to love you? You can never make a difference. He'll never use you. Your marriage is always going to be bad. You'll never be a good parent. You're always going to be sick. You never get out of debt. What you do when you start throwing them arrows? Boom! You put up your shield. Right? Here's your shield. Yeah, I'm telling you, here's your shield. Because shield can be offensive also if you think about it. Watch enough movies, right? You put up your shield. Surely goodness and mercy will come me. Joshua said, I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed coming out. Greater is he within me than he that is in the world. He has plans to prosper me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God is working in all things for my good, for his good, because I love him. He will never leave me nor forsake me. His eyes on the sparrow, so I know he's watching me. That you, you start shouting out some shield stuff like that. And I tell you, when you finish shouting out, Satan's little butt going to be gone. Right? You think he's going to stand there and take that? No, because the word of God makes him flee. He'll run away. Right? Some of y'all, again, you don't know the word of God enough to even use it. I can, I can assure you. I can assure you. Satan won't keep on fighting if you battle back with scripture. He only took on Jesus three times, right? What did he do after the third? <laughs> Can't get this cat. I'm out. Right? If you keep on combating him with scripture... The shield of faith, right? He'd be done. And here's another one. Please get this when we talk about faith. Anybody seen 300? Anybody study any Roman Roman battle stuff? You know, their shields were designed to lock together. The shield of faith. Church, don't you ever think that your faith's not designed to be together. Right? It's designed because there's certain parts of the body that won't be covered unless those shields are locked in the right way, right? So what it's saying is, man, there's going to be some time when, when I need your faith. And there's going to be some time when you need my faith. There's going to be some time when I'm weak and, and I'm going to have to rely on you. And then there's going to be some time when you're weak and you have to rely on me. It means that if we take the shield of faith and we really look at, as Paul's writing this to Roman soldiers who would have knew exactly what's going on, right? They would have thought about this. They would have thought, man, you remember when our shields locked together? Like we here for each other. Why do you think it's so important when he says, don't neglect the meeting of the brotherhood? Because the longer you stay away from getting together with other believers, the easier it is for the enemy to get an area of your life that ain't covered. There's going to be some areas of your life you can't cover, so you need your brothers to cover you. I want to be part with, with brothers that got my back. Right? Like, I, I want that little turtle shell that they got in 300. We're like, it's completely covered. And then we go on offense. And then we move our feet of readiness a little bit. And then we cover again. And then we go on. And then, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it's just a brotherhood that gets it done. 
And when Paul's writing about this stuff, he knows this is the way it would work, right? Because you're meant to be part of the big church. Number five, take up your helmet of salvation. Verse 17. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. This repeats some stuff I know. What is he saying? He says your head is where you think, right? So let the truth permeate your mind. Well, what if you woke up in the morning and started saturating your mind right away with godly things instead of worldly things? How different would the day be? Right? Regardless of the weather, regardless of, 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 of what was going on that day, regardless of the task ahead, regardless of what happened the night before, you wake up in the morning and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to start this day in Christ. Because in Christ, there's nothing that's going to make him love me more and there's nothing that's going to make him love me less. Because I'm his. Right? I, I, it's a gift. And, and all I need for everlasting joy is to understand that he loves me enough. You know, you talk about him caring about the sparrow. That means he knows every hair that's on my head and exactly what I need every day. And he's going to take care of them, right? You permeate your brain with truth, right? You saturate it. You, you, you stay on it. And then when you go outside, your head's so full of, your head's so full of other stuff, it can't get full of the wrong stuff. Right? You know, sometimes we got so much gap in airspace up there. That's what messes us up. We got so much room for other stuff to get in there that it messes stuff up. Think about it, right? Think about it. If if you're so full of the Lord's stuff, there's no room for the other stuff. Sixth thing, same verse, and taking the sword of the spirit, which is the the word of God. Offensive weapon. We've already talked about our shoes. Now we've got our sword. So if you've got the shoes right and you're moving in the right direction, you've been trained right. You can use, you know, you ever seen somebody use the sword? Right. I did fencing. Crystal's junior year, I think, of undergrad. You laugh. I laugh, too. She come home and she said, oh, one of my professors is a fencing instructor. I said, baby, you want me to put on one of them white outfits with that funny little mask and a little T-90 sword and go to class with you? And she said, yes. And I did it. I put it on as fast as I could. I paid the money for both outfits and we bought swords and we went up in there. And in the beginning, I got my little tail beat. And it wasn't no chopping. You know, I was ready to like just straight up chop somebody like it's, it's direct. It's it's finely tuned operating, right? By the end of class, they said, you know what? Let's do a little competition, see who wins. There'd been a guy in this class that had done with all these competitions. He'd been like a pro, right? He'd been actually giving the instructor some pointers along the time. I cut his tail. I cut his tail. Hit him so hard in the face, I didn't know it was possible to bend the little thing in. Oh, I, but I kept it humble. I kept it humble, right? Because I was a youth minister. You got to be humble when you're a youth minister, right? So I kept it down. When you become a pastor, you don't have to be humble. That changes, right? So, so like, 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 like I was good. I was good. You know, the only thing I can attribute that to for real, because there is no strength involved in it. Skill and training. Some of y'all, if you pick up the sword and you ain't been skilled and trained, you go get your butt wore out. Right. You know, that, that that's why they can use verses against you as believers. It blows my mind that the enemy can take my own weapon and use it against me because I don't know how to use it. Talk about dying by friendly fire. We're getting killed by our own weapon because we don't know how to use it. We ain't took a course. We ain't trained. And we're not going to knock out the guy who's been using it for a long time. Huh? Took me less than six months to beat somebody that had been trained. What What could you do? I'm not, ta- not talking about the, the physical side. What could we do? The enemy's been training for years using it. What could we do if we got serious training? Use it against him, right? 
Your ability to overcome Satan is directly proportionate to your knowledge of the word of God. Directly proportionate to your knowledge of the word of God. Your kid's ability to overcome the enemy and the attacks that are going to come his way is directly proportionate to how much they know about the word of God. Football, man, that's great. Dance class, man, that's wonderful. Playing an instrument or doing whatever else your kid's doing, that's wonderful. But you want to know what's going to save them for an eternity? Equipping them in the word of God. And if you ain't equipped them in the word of God, if they ain't learned it, read it, memorized it, meditated it, and singing on it, there's going to be a problem. There's going to be a problem. We get so, we ought to get so sad. You ever seen that little meme? You'll probably only see it in the South, right? And, and they get ready to go away. You ever seen that meme where like the mosquito bites somebody and he flies off singing, there's power in the blood? We ought to be so full of the power of the blood. We ought to be so full of the word of God that's inside us that when a mosquito bites us, it flies away singing Bible verses. Right? They, they'd use a phrase all the time. Back when I played ball, they'd be like, man, he bleeds green if you cut him. I was dedicated to the team. I mean, you, you can see it in anything I do. It's not like a secret. Right? Yesterday, I had on four different Carolina different things, right? Because that's what you got to do. You got to sit out, plan on sitting there and watching a really rough game. My boys, Asher, I'm going to put on every Asher Ridge thing I got when I watch. Then when I get out of here today, I'm going to put on every cowboy item I got to watch it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm bathed in it. But more than that, I sure wish people would say, man, if you cut him, he bleeds Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Man, if we could get it right. Plus, we talked about disciple making a minute ago. If you're going to be a good disciple maker, you got to first be a good disciple. Huh? Can't be making disciples if you don't know the word of God. It means you better know the word of God better than anything else. Number seven. Some of you are like, I didn't know there was a seven. I know me neither. Prayer. You realize prayer is a weapon? Go to verse 18. And praying at all times in the spirit. A lot of times we don't include this as a weapon, man, but this is our main weapon, right? Prayerlessness is proof of either extreme arrogance, I don't need God, or unbelief. I don't really think God can help me here. Right? If you don't pray, that's what you're saying. Now, here's what I want to also make sure we notice as it comes up at the end of this thing. Prayer is not something we only do in preparation. We dress when he lists prayer. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like we there. You already dress for battle, right? We treat prayer like it's something for just preparation. But Paul's saying prayer is the ministry. Prayer might very well be the battle he's talking about. You ever tried to pray for a real long time and get serious? How many of you fall asleep, fade out, can't do it? Maybe maybe the prayers itself is the battle. Book of James, it says that the most effective thing we can do is prayer. Why? Because he says the, the fervent prayers of righteous people, they change history. You realize Elijah changed the weather with a prayer? That's bad to the bone right there, right? Huh? Changing the weather. With a prayer, changing the time of a day with the prayer. And we still got time change going on here years later because of that one little pause. Right? Huh? Man, think about this stuff. Prayer is where it's at. We say, man, prayer, prayer is the only thing. Prayer is the first thing, the most effective thing. Go to, I wasn't even going to go there, but it's such a cool thing right when you add it up. Go to Acts chapter one when you get home later, right? I think it's chapter one, the beginning of Acts, we'll call it that, right? And the disciples is getting ready with Jesus. They're talking to Jesus. And Jesus tells them, he goes, I want you guys to go and I want you guys to stay in Jerusalem. You're like, dang, Jesus, I thought we was getting ready to go with you. Like, Jesus, now I'm leaving. I want you to stay there. I want you to pray. I want you not to move. 
Right. So Jesus then sins. And, and during this time, while they pray and they realize, oh, we missing the brother because that little scatty cat Judas, he done deserted us because he was a loser. So while we pray and God's revealing things to him, they say, man, we need to get somebody to fill a spot. So in that process, like they, they, they get that. Right. And they, they keep on going. If you study it, it's 10 days of praying. Ten days of praying before Pentecost comes and the Lord sends down the spirit on them. Right. Because they're in the right spot doing the right thing. First thing they do when they get out. Peter goes and preaches a sermon. Now, you can read the sermon if you read as slow as I read. Ten minutes. Ten minutes tops. They spent ten days praying for a ten minute sermon. You know the outcome of it? You remember? And 3,000 people got saved that day. You know our problem? We want to spend 10 hours preaching, two minutes praying, and expect the same outcome. We got our numbers mixed up. We get our numbers mixed up. If it ain't bathed in prayer, it don't matter. Right? That's what happens, man. It's, it's so awesome. I love it. I love it. Maybe you could say a lot of Christians are more like bodybuilders. You, you, you see a bodybuilder, right? They don't do nothing with their strength. They, they really don't. I mean, and other than the workout to get the strength, right? They never fight. They never play a sport. All they do is walk around, what? Flexing. Huh? Flexing. They look like head walking around on a boat. Huh? You know we ain't catching no fish if you get in a bicep picture on Facebook. Right? What no fish that day. All we getting is heads, biceps, and pecs. Right? That's it. You're catching fish and they deflect it. A lot of Christians are like that. We puff ourselves up, yet we never do anything. We get full of knowledge. We get full of beliefs. But we never get bold in fervent prayer. We never flex. We show up. I mean, I'm sorry. All we do is show up and flex rather than use what we've been given. Right? Bold prayer is how you take the doctrines of the gospel and battle the world. Verse 18. Y'all stay with me because this one's for me, right? This is for you, for me. One page to go. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit. That's how you better be praying, right? Making supplication for all the saints. Please pray for everybody in the room. Right? Then he says, (laughs) that counts for people in your small group or your Bible studies, Sunday school, men's group, whatever, right? Then he says, and also pray for me. I love this ending, man. That the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. Don't amen it yet because I'm going to give you a job from it. Because I think what Paul is saying for him, he's still alive when he writes this, right? So he's saying, I need you guys to pray for me. So when I preach, it ain't my words coming out. It's the Spirit's words coming out. I think what Paul means for application for us today is for you guys to pray for me. I'm serious. I don't have no problem filling the time slot. You done figured that out. But you don't need more words from me. You need the Lord's words. Right. So when Paul says, I want you guys to pray. Right. So that my words, which can educate, will become his words, which will liberate you guys. Right. He goes in deeper. He says, he says, he says, he says man, my words can fill your mind. But his words is going to save your soul. You, you see the difference. Paul's understanding the difference in this. He says, I want to be able to boldly proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. He's saying you need God's word and not mine. And so do you. So I'm telling you right now when we get to these verses, like I'm challenging you. Pray for my words every single week. Some of y'all praying to be shorter. I ain't worried about that. I just want to make sure they're the right ones, right? Life is a war, man. You got to be confident in what God's been telling you. You got to put on these. If you ain't put on the pieces, it means you ain't trusting it. That's the most obvious thing there is, right? If, if you're not dressing for battle, it means that you're not thinking it's, it's actually going to take place. Or you're not thinking whatever equipment he's giving you to put on ain't going to help you. This ain't new spiritual strategy strategies. 
This is applying the gospel to all our areas. This, this, this is focusing on, on the gospel and not focusing on Satan. And, and Luke 11, Jesus tells a parable about a, an evil spirit that's living in a house. And, and they managed to drive it out and they clean the house up. And, and the thing is, this, 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 this guy, whatever it was, if it was drugs or job or whatever, whatever, like, like he gets cleaned up and, and, and the demon goes out and finds seven more demons to come back. Right? And, and here's the crazy part. And they moved into the man's house and the last state of the man was worse than the first. So Jesus says this. Jesus says, when you drive out a strong man of the house, you better replace him with a stronger man of the house. You can drive out all the alcohol you want to drive out. You can drive out all the drugs you want to drive out. You can drive out all the lust you want to drive out. But if you ain't filled that area with something stronger, he coming back with seven buddies. You know what I'm saying? And what I love is if you filled it back with the stronger man, there's a story in the Old Testament where he says, man, my enemies was coming at me from all directions. They was unified. Right. And he's saying they were together. And man, it's scary when the army is together. Right. And they attack it. And it says, as they got closer, I began to pray. And as he prayed, he said, he says, and then, then the Lord scattered them. They was confused. Right? So they might come at you in one direction, but they gonna leave in seven directions. Right? If you filled it with the stronger man. That's what he's saying. He says, you got to fill it with the stronger man as a Christian. We, we don't fight. And then please understand, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. I hope we don't mix up them letters, right? Verse 24. Like, oh, we just skipped all the hard words. I did, because when he looked at me on how to say that dude's name, I laughed on the inside. What in the world you want to look at me? I called him T-Dog all week. Straight up, T-Dog. He got a T, he a T, he T-Dog. Right, T-Dog. Huh? He's going to come up in a bunch of letters, by the way, so T-Dog is an important character. Right? Verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord and Jesus. With love, I love this last word, man, with love incorruptible. God's love is the only incorruptible, everlasting, unchangeable, all-powerful, uncorruptible thing in a very corruptible and fallen world. Paul says, if you would grab a hold of this, the changes that could take place in your life, the things that could, that could change and be moved about. So, so I want you to think this morning. One, are you actually, <laughs> you actually sharpening your sword? You learning how to how to use that sword. You learning how to how to fight with it, how to move it, how to you have you sharpened it. Don't do you no good to go fight with a dull sword either. All right. And, and two, do you believe in the items he's called you to put on that they'll work? Right. Now it might sound crazy, y'all, but 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 there was a time where I wanted to be shot with a bulletproof vest on. I want to check it out. You get that? Thank you. I thought everybody else think I was crazy. Right? And probably everybody else does, so we're both crazy now. But it's good to be crazy with somebody. I want to check it out and see if it worked. I can make a deal with you right now. And no, I'm not going to put no bulletproof vest on for you to get shot with. Right? But I'll make a deal with you right now. One, I can promise you. If you'll put the vest on, I promise you it'll work. I promise you it'll work. And I ain't talking about bullets. Right? If you'll put on the armor of the Lord, if you'll make sure it's in the Lord and you ain't just putting it on for yourself. Right? Don't forget stage one. I promise you it will work. I promise you you can overcome whatever the enemy's throwing. I promise you your fight strategy will be different because you'll understand you're not fighting the person or the things around you, but you're fighting some secretive force that's all about you, your adversary. Right? Pray with me. Father God, we love you. I love, Lord God, that you love us with an incorruptible love. 
God, I pray that we cling to your word and your promises, Lord. Lord, I pray that we take this whole letter that we've spent time on, that Paul spent so much time on, that you spent time on. God, we start applying it to our daily lives. Lord, if we, we need to, let's, let's go back and check some stuff out, Lord God. Let's not move forward with feet of readiness until we've been prepared in you. Let's make sure we're holding up a shield that's got faith, Lord God, ready to extinguish arrows, Lord God, and not just block them. God, let's make sure we've got our mind, our head, maybe a, maybe a helmet with some earplugs, Lord God, to stop what enemy is, is shouting about us. And maybe we girded, Lord God, with your truth, with what you say about us more than anything else. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray and I hold you accountable right now, Lord God, on one of your own promises. You said if we would preach your word, it wouldn't return void. So I'm calling you out, Lord God. We've preached your word, Lord. We've read your word. We've studied your word. We love your word. I'm praying that it not return void to our lives. But it produced something inside of us, Lord God, that makes us more kingdom minded to do the things in the kingdom you want us to do in this fallen world we're in. Your great and holy name we pray. Amen.